term I under I, I came up with to understand this is if you want a system that innovates, you have to redesign the system to innovate. You have to create a system that is built around innovation. Welcome to the last Lean Agile Strategies and Tactics podcast. Lean Agile Strategies and Tactics for your personal, professional, and corporate growth in today's constantly changing and challenging business environments. Dwayne, we, as a, as a person with a nautical background, um, I like the water. And mm-hmm. in SAFE and in the Lean Agile world, we talk about riptides in the context of change, change management, and sort of affecting impact with that change. Now, recently, you've started to discuss the, the difference between what we normally think of or what is normally framed and safe as uh, riptides, and what you're talking or you're framing of it in the, in the context of turning riptides into waves. So can you describe mm-hmm. to us from a safe context, what are riptides? And then yeah. how you map that into waves? Yeah, so it's a term that Scaled Agile started a few years ago. They call it innovation riptide or innovation riptides. And essentially what they're talking about is that continuous cycle of new ideas coming in through innovation, feeding perhaps from the portfolio into the art level backlog. That results in new information that generates more energy at the portfolio level, at the art level, and it's a continuous cycle of continued learning and almost an increase in learning. Um, These riptides, because the concept of riptide is a very strong channel of energy, I mean, highly... A focused channel of energy, it will tend to stir a lot of movement within an organization. It will really start to invigorate the organization. But here's the concern. If you really more with the analogy than with the concept, riptides are dangerous in the ocean, um, but they're also necessary and they're a necessary part of nature. Um, If you're not familiar with a a riptide, what it does, it's essentially a narrow channel or, or a portion of water coming into the shore and it's are coming out from the shore. And it's essentially a funnel that allows the water coming into shore to channel back out in an efficient and effective way. But it's a very narrow channel of water. What I've been playing around with lately is converting those innovation riptides into innovation waves. The reason a whip riptide works the way it does is it's affected by a number of factors, uh, wind, water temperature, um, the um, underground, uh, underneath the ocean, the, the beach, all these different factors come into play and impact how riptides work. If we want to take that narrow channel of energy, that narrow channel of innovation, and instead make it an innovation wave, the entire beach is flooded with innovation. The entire organization is taking that on and everything we're doing has an innovation focus to it. And I don't care if it's new product development or for its business as usual, keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. You're constantly innovating and recreating how you work across the entire beachfront, not in a narrow channel. And the way you have to do that, um, the, the term I, under, I, I came up with to understand this is if you want a system that innovates, you have to redesign the system to innovate. You have to create a system that is built around innovation. How do you convert a riptide into a wave is you remove impediments. You remove this 
bought this pile of rocks, you move this, you move that, you change temperatures, whatever. You look at the system that you're currently working in, and maybe you are getting innovation riptides working, where you've got this narrow channel of focused energy and it's feeding through, but you want to turn that into across the entire organization as you start to look at the system. How do we redesign it? What steps do we take out? What things do we add? What culture, what practices, approach, process, whatever training, education do we need to do to continually widen that riptide and turn it into a much wider and much wider channel of energy? That's really where you want innovation to go to, to go from being a riptide to becoming a wave across the entire organization. And I like that, the sort of that analogy, because as I, so riptides, uh, for anyone who has any experience on the water, basically, whether it's a, a the changing of the tides, so flood or ebb, and you have a pressure differential, basically, between mm -hmm. low and high. And the high pressure wants to go to the low pressure, and usually there's a breaking point or a, not exactly a tripwire, but there's a point at which the pressure breaks, and that flow, that what ends up becoming a riptide of high pressure to low pressure ends up uh, driving a strong current, which is the thing that can grab you when you're on the beach and pull you out to the ocean. Or if you're in, mm -hmm. as, a, as I live here in the Gulf Islands, uh, you can have these strong eddies and currents and riptides in, um, in, in between islands and channels that will pull you or push you in unpredictable ways. Uh, and yes. so that that is the sort of the uncontrolled nature of a riptide it's somewhat predictable, but it's this buildup of pressure and then the sudden release of it. I like your analogy of the waves because the, the resonance of a wave, whether it's a, you know, you're walking, watching on an oscilloscope and you're watching the wave form on, on the monitor, or you're thinking of it at waves in the ocean, as you align, uh, as we talk about in, in SAFE and um, when, when we talk about building a cadence and aligning uh, communication, energy, effort, and planning, we create, um, instead of a straight sort of uh, a high frequency wave across a short period of time, we realign those waves. We realign those peaks of energy and effort so that they happen all at the same time. And as you align those waves on an oscilloscope, the peak and the trough of that wave sign increases meaning that the mm -hmm. impact that we have increases. And while there is a cadence to it, as in peak performance, take a minute to, uh, you know, review um, and retrospective uh, innovation and innovate, and then we go back and we perform again. There's that cycle of going back and forth, up and down, yeah. as opposed to a whole bunch of busy work that doesn't get anything done, we really focus and get things done and we increase the magnitude of that impact. And so that resonance piece about the wave, whether it's a wave sign or it's the waves in the ocean, um, that's, that's how I think of it. Instead of it being disruptive, unpredictable, and a little messy, it's much more predictable much more manageable and much more impactful when you create that wave resonance, that that amplified impact that you talk about. Yeah. So Tony, have you ever taken the grill off a big massive home theater speaker or something and you put your finger on the cone of the speaker while it's operating? What happens? 
Dulls the sound. Dulls the sound. Absolutely. Most organizations are struggling with, they've got about a hundred hands on that speaker cone. And, and that's where we're struggling. And that's where I'm trying to help organizations see there is so much potential out there. We're going to talk later about flow velocity and flow efficiency, but the bottom line is through our studies and research, most organizations are operating at about a five to 6% flow efficiency, five to 6%. That's because of all those hands on that speaker muffling that resonance and turning it into dissonance. And that's why I keep talking about if you want to change that innovation riptide into an innovation wave, you have to start removing those hands one finger at a time. It, you're not going to be able to get all of them removed all at once. But as you continue to remove more of those impediments, more of those blockers, redesign the culture, redesign the process on a regular, consistent basis, that sound gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And that should be a key goal of leadership is improving that resonance, is taking that narrow channel of energy and expanding it, freeing it up. Innovation doesn't require a new skill set. It requires a removal of impediments. It's not about teaching people how to be innovative. We already are innovative. Uh, safe principle number eight, unlock the intrinsic motivation of knowledge workers. Intrinsic means it's already there. You don't have to add it. It's not a pill you take, it's there. It's redesigning the system to increase that resonance and to remove those blockers and those impediments that stifle the innovation. That's really the key. And again, this isn't about just new product development. This isn't one or corner of the organization that you're helping to improve innovation. That, that's a riptide. It's about getting the entire organization innovating on everything they do on a regular daily basis. It becomes part of the DNA. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like... It's synergy. It's, um, mm -hmm. it's, you know, we talked about this in another context, but you know, it's that it's, it's not even slow and steady effort at this point. It's just the, the consistent, uh, applied effort versus the, the sort of inconsistent and what can sometimes be chaotic spurts, um, of, of innovation that occur with that, that riptide analogy but if you're able to, again, align the organization, coordinate your teams, like you say, remove the anti-patterns, the impediments, the things that are blocking, uh, constraining, or bottlenecking what it is that you're doing, you really open up. Uh, you really open up, uh, sort of, uh, maybe using the metaphor of uh, of the dirt bike, as you as you are uh, uh, an amateur dirt biker. Uh, you know, you can open up the throttle and, and really kick it into high gear on the straightaway as opposed to, um, you know, getting tied down with all sorts of debris or, or whatever might be an obstacle in your path. Is that, I might be pushing that metaphor. Is that a good metaphor? <laughs> no, it's pretty accurate. Actually, I'll apply it more to the road racing I do on motorcycles. Turns get in the way of lap times. Turns slow you down. But from a racer's perspective, you know, that's where the fun is because that's where you can really improve your lap times. Mm. Just about every amateur can twist the throttle on a motorcycle just as fast as I can. It's being able to twist it at the right time and be able to twist it sooner and use it accordingly. And that's where organizations need to start learning is again, trying to remove as many of those impediments as they possibly can. And this is on a regular basis. 
you know, think about a beach. A beach is constantly evolving and shifting, sand moving around, rocks coming in, different things like that. The system is constantly evolving. This is not something that you do a Six Sigma effort and you fix this and you go, okay, we're good. Mm -mm. That's the worst thing you can do. You have to get into the habit of doing this on a regular, continuous basis. I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite Tai Chi Ono quotes is, and I'm paraphrasing, is you should be throwing away the process manual about every two weeks mm. because you continue to change how you work on a regular, consistent basis. The only thing consistent is your rate of improvement. Everything else is continuously changing. And that's scary for a lot of organizations because there's so many variables out there and so many factors that they're saying, oh my gosh, can we let one thing just stay the same for a while? I hate to tell you this, the answer is no, you can't. You know, that this uh, I wasn't expecting us to take this turn here, but it makes me think of... <laughs> um, so let me set this up and try and knock this out of the park. Let's see how this works. So okay. um, if we work on the assumption that the rate of change is accelerating, maybe not exponentially, but it is continuing to accelerate the rate of change, mm -hmm. whether that's based on technology or culture or both, there are a multiple dynamic influences and motivating factors that are accelerating the rate of change. We can look at the introduction of the internet, uh, most recently sort of chat GBT, AI tools and so on. But mm -hmm. change is seemingly accelerating. If we are working in a way of working, a model whereby we only work in static, inflexible, highly structured systems, then we are structurally unable to adapt to that ever accelerating changing environment. Right. That said, people hate change. We know that. Like, we don't like change. And so what works today, we feel like we don't want to change because we're afraid it may not work tomorrow. I would challenge anybody listening to this podcast that the fundamental mindset shift that we all as professionals have to make is that we have to embrace the change. And here's my oddball connection. In the military, uh, I did a number of various courses, whether it's basic training to my clearance diver prelim, where there were lots of things that we did that were physically uncomfortable, mentally stressful, and overall mm -hmm. something you just didn't want to do. To use a technical term, they sucked. <laughs> so... You might. Is that in the the? Is that in the uh, Navy guidebook? Glossary? It's in the handbook. It's in the handbook. It's a technical, it. technical term. Okay. Technical term. Got it. So if I if I look at it from the context of the of the prelim, this is a, a a selection process designed to weed out people who do don't have the at the motivation and uh, the perseverance to be able to successfully complete that course. Um, for example, um, the course after mine, they lost half. Over half of the, I think it was 19 people on the course, by Wednesday of the first week, it's a two-week selection. Wow. And so the idea of the selection is to stress you psychologically and physically to the point where you're just like, no, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, 
business, like the selection, is a contact sport. It's not comfortable. It's stressful. It's dynamic. It's changing. And it's going to push you and test you. The only way that you can be successful is to be such a rock star that it doesn't hurt, like all these things don't hurt you or impede you, which is not most of us. The second way to get through it is to embrace the suck. You accept the fact that when you wake up on Tuesday, you're going to be sore because of what you did Monday. When you wake up on Wednesday, you're going to be twice as sore because of what you did on Monday and Tuesday. And that on Thursday, it's going to be just as bad, if not worse, and it doesn't get any better from there. You have to accept Sounds that. like old age to me. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's, a, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what a, I'm going through now, but yeah. But, but basically, you have to accept that things are going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You have to accept that in order for you to, be, to perform and be successful, that, that you are not going to be comfortable. You have to embrace the suck. And so my connection between my perhaps stretched, strenuous connection here is, is in the military to be successful in these high stress, high, high mentally and high physically stressful situations, you had to be able to embrace the suck, except that that was the environment you were operating in and just get on with it. In the business environment that we're in, I would make the argument that business leaders of today need to recognize and acknowledge that we are in an ever-accelerating pace of change. That the level of innovation to be successful is, uh, the level of required innovation to be successful is increasing. And the core competency around that is our mindset, in the sense of the Mm -hmm. leadership mindset around the adaptability of applying innovation, of being able to take spurts of innovation, these riptides, and aligning it in organizational structure so that we're constantly evolving and changing, that we're constantly performing with those peaks, innovating in the dips, and then performing again. In the absence of that, you will you will stress out too much about the suck. You will you will let that get into your head and you will quit or you will fail. And that the only way to be successful in the long term, is to be able to embrace the fact that we will be changing, that we will be transforming, that that is a necessary part of business in the future. Or in short, so embrace the suck. Yeah. I, I love your analogy. I'm going to disagree with one of the points you made and use your whole analogy to prove my point. Bring it. People are not afraid of change. They're afraid of the unknown. Ah, fair, fair. When, when you talk about coming into this course and if you went into it going i'm going to be sore tuesday and i'm going to be even more sore wednesday you already have exposed the unknown it is a change absolutely but you've dealt with that unknown because you just accept yes that's what's going to happen so now that fear of the unknown decreases and i think that's where a lot of people succeed where others fail especially in a a physical mental setting like you're talking about in the military training but in many other cases the people that succeed have a better perception they have the same level of change it's the same impact to them what they have that others don't is they understand where they're heading and they understand they anticipate what why they're making this change you went through that course not just to prove a point, to prove that you could do it, but you were learning, you were growing as a person, as as a sailor, as all of those things. And if we know that that's the goal and we understand that there's going to be unknowns, and here's what I do to help people embrace and, and, and decrease the fear of the unknown, I cheat. There's a closed door in front of us. 
It's scary to open that door. Why? Not because we don't know how to open a door. We don't know what's behind it. Mm. All right, let's cheat. Let's put a camera inside that room. Now we know what's going on in there. And, and organizationally, from a business standpoint, there are, ways, there are ways to put a camera in that room. And that's part of where we started with this, with innovation, is with innovation, it's not just go out and do something, just go play with Play-Doh or something. It's we're innovation, innovating for, with a purpose. We have a problem we want to solve. Let's apply safe principle number three, assume variability, preserve options. There are multiple ways to solve any problem. Mm. But the known is we know what problem we're trying to solve. And as we start to pursue some of these different opportunities, we disclose more and more of the unknown and that change becomes more and more, I don't want to say comfortable, easy to deal with. And in fact, it does tend to become more comfortable. I think that's the secret for people that embrace change. It's not that they have any less fear of the change. It's that they have a better understanding of the unknown, and that reduces the greater fear, that fear of the unknown. I, you know what, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it is the, the, un, the ambiguity of change that scares people because they don't know what to expect. They don't know how they're going to feel. They don't know what comes next. Um, and like you say, if you're able to demystify some of that uncertainty in the future and create more comfort around what that next stage, step, change, evolution, iteration is going to be, then um, that sets us up for success, uh, certainly. And, you know, ironically, well, not ironically, but that that is the, that metaphor of that door is really where we're at now. I think there mm. are, I know in my professional experience, we're at a crossroads where there is a critical mass of companies, organizations, individuals who are pushing, promoting, educating this need for transformation. But there is a larger, I don't want to call it dead weight, but there is a larger mass of professionals who rely on the the previous professional paradigm. They're mm, yeah. less willing to change. And because of that, uh, we're seeing this conflict, the conflict around the openness to be able to embrace this transformation um, and the, the, resi the resistance to some of these ideas. To be fair, I mean, Steve's only been around for just a little over a decade um, and uh, Agile's more like 20 years but I mean, all these other methodologies and, and the Tayloristic approach, I mean, set like a century plus. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of, as we used to say in the, in the, uh, in the Navy, hundred years of, over a hundred years of uh, tradition impeding progress every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, th that's, you know, using that doorway analogy, when we talk about innovation, you know, I'm thinking of the movies where you see the spy taking the flexible camera and putting it underneath the door so they can see what's going on inside. Yeah. And then you see, like, think back to like the Batman movie where they were able to use the cell phone coverage to look into rooms and totally. all those different things. You greatly reduce the fear of change when you know what's on the other side. And the more you can expose what's on the other side, now you start to see why you want to go there. And you see, is it worth the change? 
because not every doorway should be opened. Not every change should be taken on. You have to have a measured approach. It's that learning. And that's why I talk about innovating on the system before you even try to innovate on the product or, or space is mm -hmm. innovate on the system so that you build in those new ways of looking into the room without opening the door. That That's a, a great analogy for what innovation truly is. Innovative systems that lead to innovative products. Yep. You have to innovate on the system to create a system that innovates. It's the only way to success. And the organizations that have figured that out or are figuring that out, those are the ones that are going to win. Thank you.